Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Hello, good day. How are you? We have an announcement. We are introducing something a little fun into our podcasts each month, a monthly swag bag giveaway. Yep, that's right. Each month, which will be the last episode of each month, we are going to be giving one lucky listener a monster swag bag of goodies that will include products from our sponsors and some Derm Health Co merch. How do you enter? Simply send us a letter outlining what you loved or learnt from the Derm Health Co platform and share a little about your skin empowerment journey. It may even just look like what skin empowerment means to you. We'll choose one lucky winner each month and share your story on the podcast. Simply email info at dermhealth.co. Can't wait to hear from you. And just as a little side note, this is only open to Australian residents. There are numerous nutraceutical supplements on the market, but whom are they for? When are they beneficial, ineffective, or even harmful? The idea behind nutraceutical supplements is to deliver nutrients that may not be consumed either in sufficient quantities or because of our modern lifestyle, we're not managing to eat a healthy diet. A visit to the health food store, skin clinic, Pharmacy can be an overwhelming experience and it can be tough to figure out how to choose from the dizzying assortment of dietary and nutritional supplements on the shelf, all claiming to give you clearer, plumper, more glowy skin. From vitamins to minerals to pills and powders, there are literally dozens of options to choose from and the market is growing. But do you really need any of them? Do they really work? And if so, which ones are best? Well, in today's podcast, we are going to be covering all of this and more with Kate Lilla, co-founder and director of Wild and Free Brands. Thank you for joining us for the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host. And today when we're speaking with Kate, we're going to be drawing on her 15 years of personal and professional experience in the natural therapies. She started in this field to really help restore and rebuild strength and vitality. And it prompted her to switch from studying a biomedical science degree to applied science, majoring in naturopathic studies. Kate then proceeded to work in product development, creating supplements and ingestible within the nutraceutical, cosmeceutical and health food sectors. Today, I started by asking Kate what she thought was the biggest misconception about nutritional supplements. Well, I actually think there's two common misconceptions and they sort of contradict each other. So the first one is that supplements are ineffective. (laughs) The second one is that they're dangerous. 
Now, I guess if we're sort of accepting that something's dangerous, we're accepting that they're, you know, inherently have a physiological activity. And so it sort of seems a little illogical to me that we could accept that it's active, but in 100% of cases, it's a negative impact on the body. So I guess on the flip side, if we're sort of talking about supplements being ineffective, I like to use just the example of a cup of coffee. When I hear that one, a cup of coffee is essentially you know, the most basic of our herbal extracts. It's just a, a water extraction and we get an alcohol laid out called caffeine, which we all know gives us a buzz. By no means saying that there are not ineffective supplements and that there are not dangerous supplements. But I think what we really do know is there is that whole scope in the middle for safe supplements that are also effective. Interesting point. And so in regards to, I guess, the gut health and the skin, what are these links there are quite a few links between the gut and skin, actually. I guess in its you know, simplest relationship, the gut's responsible for absorbing nutrition. So if it's not functioning optimally, you're not going to get all of the nutrients that you're taking through your food or supplements into your system. So you, know, you can become nutrient deficient, which obviously affects your skin and your skin can become deficient in nutrients it needs just to perform its you know, everyday functions. A more complex part of that relationship relates to the gut microbiome, which is, you know, ultimately affects the health of the gut and the function of the gut itself. So, you know, a healthy gut removing wastes, the microbiome ensures proper motility, communicates with the immune system, all of these different functions that it's performing. But I guess on the flip side of that, an unhealthy gut is having the opposite effect. So dysbiosis or, you know, microbiome, which is out of balance, can result in, you know, chronic low-grade inflammation, dysregulation of the immune system, all of these sorts of things that affect lots of different functions systemically, but also some really direct effects on the gut. So we know dysbiosis is related to impaired epithelial permeability, hormonal dysregulation, all sorts of things like that. So, you know, we see conditions like acne, psoriasis, eczema, they're all, um, you know, much higher incidence related to, to leaky gut, to inflammatory bowel disease, to SIBO, those sorts of things. So there's a lot of different sort of systemic ways in which the gut can affect the skin. Yeah, and we have done previous episodes specifically on SIBO and rosacea and psoriasis and gut health and some mm. newer research that's come out for that. So any listeners that would like to specifically hear about some of those conditions, you can have a listen to some of our past podcast episodes. Now, Kate, what is your experience with supplements and skin, which is our topic of today? Well, I've, um, I've actually worked in the supplement industry for about probably close to 20 years now. So I actually studied naturopathy, but didn't go into practice. I went straight into industry, into product development, where a lot of our focus was really on looking at individual ingredients that were being clinically trialed. So, you know, then obviously incorporating those into more complex formulations with cofactors that would, you know, support those hero ingredients. So that's, I guess, sort of my background. And then about 10 years ago, there was sort of that explosion with gut health. That was really the start of supplements that were really focused on skin health. And it really started with probiotics, you know, specifically some around eczema and those sorts of things. And off the back of that, we started to see sort of the beauty from within, for, for want of a better turn of phrase uh, sort of category start to emerge but this is sort of where I got really quite interested in you know in incorporating those clinically trialed actives for 
you know, various inflammatory issues and stuff like that and specifically focusing on skin you know I've never really been one for having a beauty routine I wash my face and I moisturizer and that's kind of the beginning and the end of it so it made a lot of sense to me to start to research how supplements could benefit the skin and sort of you know off the back of that there's I guess three different categories there's you know, just basic supplementation for, you know, people who, who don't feel like they're getting enough nutrition out of their diet. So it's just giving you those nutrients your skin needs to perform its everyday, you know, activities. Then there's things that's more about long-term maintenance of skin health. So we might look more at, I guess, you know, like antioxidants and, and things to assist with healthy aging. And then obviously moving into those more therapeutic categories, you know, when we talk about those relationships between gut health or those systemic conditions which can manifest as you know symptoms in the skin from a naturopathic point of view i think it's you know really important to be addressing those root causes which are potentially coming from you know elsewhere in the body from the gut or from you know adrenal exhaustion or whatever the case may be that's leading to the skin symptoms so that was where I was sort of at in terms of my interest in skin health and then actually where I was working I met my now business partner whose background was in cosmetics marketing (laughs) and she sort of we sort of really bonded over that and had a really similar opinion that this was really an opportunity for you know for products to exist that opened up the gamut of products for practitioners to use to treat their clients and their patients holistically. Mm, Fantastic. And you're so right with this trend of supplements for skin health growing in recent years. There's more and more products on the shelves in pharmacies, in skin clinics, at big department stores. What do we need to know about these supplements or what do we need to know about, I guess, looking for a supplement for our skin or in other words, a nutraceutical Yeah, yeah. You're right. There are so many and there is so much variation. So I think first and foremost, the thing that you need to know is what you want, what's going to be best for you, what outcomes you're looking for. So I guess looking at things like where you live, what you're eating, what your lifestyle risks are, if you're getting enough nutrition in, for example, if you're heavily exposed to pollution and UV, if you are suffering from, you know, rosacea or psoriasis or, or something that you would like to address specifically or potentially even, you know, talking to your healthcare practitioner or your skin specialist or both to, to really get to the bottom of what it is that you need. So, you know, you might decide that it's just a supplement to address nutritional deficiencies and there's lots of good supplements out there that do that. Or you might decide that you want a long-term solution for attenuating some of the environmental concerns. So you'd be looking for more sort of active, good quality antioxidants and good quality collagen. And then I guess we start a whole new conversation about, you know, when we say good quality supplement, what does that look like and how does the general consumer know what that is? I would say, you know, obviously do your research. I I think everyone's well within their rights also to go to the brands that they're looking at and if they want clarification around some of the claims that they're making or around, you know, some of the ingredients that they're using to ask them. And, you know, good brands will normally be really forthcoming with information. Look at transparency around ingredient sourcing, country of origin, manufacturing, all of those sorts of things. Another thing that can be really good to look for is whether or not the ingredients have been clinically trialed. 
So, you know, I could, I could have two grapeseed extracts sitting in front of me and, and one will be bright purple and one will be brown. But from that one ingredient, a brand could make the same health claims and apparently it has the same activity, but they're very different profiles of their, you know, their phytochemical profiles of those extracts. So ensuring that you're purchasing the grapeseed that has had the clinical trials done on it means that you know, it's that particular profile, which is the one that we know has the benefit. So looking for that can be a really good way to know that what you're buying is actually backed up by the science and backed up by the, you know, backs up the evidence and claims that the brands are making. Yeah, so important. And in regards to those clinical trials, so would you say it's better? Clinical trials are really expensive to do. So, you know, maybe a new brand might not necessarily do that, but are you saying that it is better to actually look for a brand that is doing their own clinical trials or if they are making claims to make sure that the claims that they're making is with the actual ingredient that they're using and not sourced from a different provider? Yeah, you're right. It is expensive to do clinical trials. And and for that reason, very few brands do clinical trials on their individual products and I actually think you know that's fine typically you know if you incorporate the ingredient from the provider that is doing the clinicals then obviously you know that's providing the benefit that you're after so that's fairly industry standard and you're still guaranteed of of best quality extracts actually going into your product. Yeah. And what about ingredients that maybe we should avoid? So for example, labeling, I know can be not very transparent when it comes to nutraceutical supplements, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think in terms of, in terms of looking at really there's two different types of products when you look at the sort of skin supplement market at the moment, one of them is sort of those powdered food formulations, which, you know, tend to be sort of collagen based. Now, because they're essentially presented as foods, they, you know, they're flavoured and they can have E numbers and all those sorts of things to improve mouthfeel and, <laughs> and other industry words like that. So, yeah. so I'd say in those circumstances, you know, make sure you're looking for natural products, try to avoid E numbers, try to avoid emulsifiers where you can. We know that emulsifiers actually disrupt the microbiome. So, you know, clean label when you're talking about food-based supplements when you're talking about, you know, the more therapeutic type products that would be presented in a tablet or a capsule format. So, you know, they essentially fall under the, the TGA within Australia anyway. There has been, yeah, I guess there has been reluctance in the past to sort of talk about excipients and, you know, essentially excipients are required to hold a tablet together and for it to disintegrate, to deliver the nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. So in some respects, they're a necessary evil. The, the TGA are doing work to actually start publishing excipients on the ARTG so that that will become more publicly available. But having said that, I mean, I think there's been a huge move in the last 10 years, certainly from when I started in the industry, to really tidy up excipient profiles in tablets and capsules. So, you know, mag stearate can be avoided now with a natural rice extract, for example. So I would say that, you know, a a lot of brands are are making those moves towards ensuring that their tablets are, you know, they're all in the health industry and they're all looking to ensure that they can make, you know, the best quality natural products because they're in natural health. So, yeah, I think certainly check it out. Again, ask the brands, but a lot of um, background work is actually going into um, 
into making sure there's more transparency involved there. Mm. And just, I guess, in regards to the manufacturing process, you mentioned that something that is capsulated or in tablet form falls under the TGA where something that is more like food-based or maybe a powder or something is more food grade. Mm. So you've developed a product yourself. What does the process look like between the two? Like, is there a comparison as far as, obviously this is not a rules and regulations episode, (laughs) but maybe just from your personal experience, because while it would be in the best interest for many businesses to actually do the best by their consumers, there might be maybe some overseas, I don't know, products and, or just some people that might be making a quick buck as well. experience with the both i think coming down to i mean so essentially you know when we're talking about products that are listed on the artg which is you know the australian register of therapeutic goods there's a lot of regulation around you know the indications and the the claims that you can make around your product so the requirement to hold certain levels of evidence is a lot more stringent having said that you know food-based products can certainly hold have as good a quality ingredients in them and under because they fall under the food standards regulations there are you know some standards within that that allow us to make claims if we meet certain nutritional um, levels of food-based products so you know essentially when you're talking about long-term skin health and health maintenance and gut health going down that food route can be i guess an easier road to market particularly if we're talking about health maintenance because we can make those claims under the Fazan's regulations when we start to get into therapeutic products so if, if you're talking about you know psoriasis or acne or whatever the case may be that's really when you know having a, a tj listed product really that's kind of the marker for the consumer that that they've done their due diligence and that the product is is compliant with the australian regulations and as you say, you know, there are food products on the market and I see them on shelves all the time where they're, they're certainly making there's claims around, you know, above and beyond health maintenance claims, which should be made on food. So it, it can be difficult for consumers to know. You know there's, there's no requirement to get a, a claim approved with Fazans before you make it. There's an expectation that you'll be doing the right thing. So, yeah, it does give some... I guess, brands or people trying to make a quick buck, as you say, some license to just sort of try their luck for as long as they can. So I guess, yeah, just looking out for, you know, bold claims on foods, if it looks too good to be true, then it it probably is. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's seen in skincare, of course, as well, and, you know, cosmeceutical skincare, which isn't necessarily therapeutic, although it might actually have therapeutic changes on the skin, but they can't say that because then it would be making a claim. But just for listeners that may be very new to this type of marketing, I guess, between therapeutic and non-therapeutic, for example, you could have a serum or a cream and they could both have a similar action, similar ingredients, but one might make a claim that it can actually reduce acne where the other might make a claim that it may help assist with breakouts and while that wording is so similar the actual I guess legalities or or the requirements for that brand to be able to make those claims are really far and like huge differences so as a consumer it is important I guess for any listeners to 
the, have a look at those bold claims and if they are bold and if they are too good to the, be true, do they have something to back it up? Yeah. 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 But yeah. a heavy topic. Definitely. But yeah, ask the brands and look at their website and just, just look at the transparency and just check that they can, they can back it up, I guess. Mm. Mm. Great. So Kate, I'd really like to really pick your brain on all these different types of supplements. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier the kind of three types of categories in terms of the benefit to the end consumer or the benefit to the health. Mm -hmm. But then within that, there's lots of different types of supplements specifically for skin that do all types of different things. Talk us, yeah. Talk us through pre and probiotics. We know that after a bout of antibiotics, some people are prescribed a probiotic supplement and more people are kind of making their own kefir, kombucha, but then we hear prebiotics in the mix. Some people like it can be confusing. What are their roles? How do they work together and how do they work with skin health? Sure. Big question. <laughs> I mean, probiotics are a very broad category of supplement. It's made up of lots of discrete species. And within those species, there's different strains. And they all have very different functions. They all behave very differently in the gut. Some colonize the gut and crowd out bad bacteria. Some produce bactericidal compounds that kill off bad bacteria some colonize and digest fiber and when they digest that fiber the metabolites of that digestion what they sort of spit out at the end are called postbiotics so there's another one to throw into the mix so you know those postbiotics have functions in gut health as well so some of them are anti-inflammatory one called butyrate for example it actually acts as food to our own internal gut epithelial cells so those bacteria are having additional you know benefit uh, simply by you know producing those postbiotic compounds because of all of those different roles and functions of the different types of microbes that live in our gut it's really important to ensure that we maintain microbial diversity so that we have you know a, a broad spectrum of, of bacteria performing different functions so that's where things like you know, your fermented foods, your kefir, kombucha, sauerkraut, sourdough really come into the fore and, and come into, you know, being part of a healthy diet. They just help to ensure that microbial diversity. But, you know, having said that, in terms of probiotics that we would supplement with, there's a lot of strains or specific strains which have been clinically trialed to elicit really specific benefits. So, you know, there's strains which are really specific for improving eczema in childhood, improving autoimmune conditions, allergies, you know, all sorts of different things. And that's where, you know, if you if there's any confusion, I think it's always good to to chat to your healthcare professional, even your naturopath at the at the health food store to really understand what's going to be most suitable for your specific needs when you're taking one of those really, really specific types of probiotics. In terms of prebiotics, prebiotics are essentially food for your microbiome. So, you know, we used to think of essentially just fiber as being prebiotic. You'd you'd eat the fiber, your lactobacillus would eat that fiber because it remained undigested by you. Um, and they'd use that for energy and proliferate in your gut. We're now understanding it's it's a lot more complex than that. There's there's a certain group of compounds, so polyphenols, for example, which are in you know herbs and spices and fruits and vegetables and and all sorts of herbal extracts are also prebiotic. They feed bifidobacteria and assist with proliferation of 
that species of good bacteria. So you've probably also heard, you know, people talking about ensuring you have a very varied diet in terms of eating, you know, 30 different fruits and vegetables in a week because all of those different phytonutrients and those different polyphenols, etc., are all feeding different bacterial species in your gut. So essentially, you know, prebiotics are important to feed the gut that already lives in your gut. Probiotics are important to assist with, you know, maintaining that balance, crowding out bad ones, for example, after you've had antibiotics. And then, as I said, the new one, which we'll all start to see more and more of, is the postbiotics. So you can actually supplement with postbiotics. So butyric acid, for example, is sold. I'm not sure if it's legal in Australia. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's certainly, you know, available to take as, like I said, that fuel for the epithelial cells in your gut. Alternatively, you can take a probiotic with a prebiotic, knowing that when that probiotic digests that particular type of fiber, it will spit up butyric acid, which benefits your gut in that way. Wow. I don't know. Is that clear as much? Yeah. So this, <laughs> so this new, well, not, I guess it's not new. It's always been around. Yeah. So how would that actually be manufactured? Is it in a lab? Yeah, actually butyric acid, I'm not sure. It's, I mean, it's a naturally occurring substance. So it's probably extracted from plants or it would go through, you know, some kind of, you know, fermentation process, like a lot of vitamins are, are produced by fermentation in giant vats and then they're just sort of extracted off and purified. Very interesting. I haven't heard of this one before. So okay. well, maybe watch this space. There might be some more research coming in. From, Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. So gut health is obviously really important. We, we've spoken about it before. We've heard it more and more in the industry. There's more in pre and probiotics for specifically skin, but that's just one category for skin yeah. health. So what other things do we need to be aware of in the context of looking after our skin? Okay. So yes, obviously, you know, once you've got your gut health in good order, it's able to start well absorbing nutrients. So, you know, your skin being the largest organ in the body requires a lot of nutrients vitamins minerals etc just to perform its day-to-day functions so there's stats around australians and how much you know the amount of fruit and vegetables that they eat and something like only 10 percent of australians consume their seven serves a day of fruits and vegetables so there's you know that potential there to just cover off on any maybe low-grade or you know, sub deficiency states just from diets that are not nutritionally dense enough. You know, the other thing to think about is we're alive for 80 years in a modern world now. So we're exposed to stress from, you know, from the environment, there's UV, there's pollution. We're exposed to physiological and psychological stress, which, which over that lifetime can also lead to, you know, low-grade inflammation or hormonal dysregulation or immune dysregulation. Uh, all of these things can result in production of free radicals and all of, obviously, overproduction of free radicals that are not dealt with properly can result in oxidative stress, which then has another cascade of, of issues in the skin. So just sort of cutting that off at the path with some, you know, good quality antioxidants. So there's a lot of research for, you know, various polyphenols, carotenoids for their ability to specifically work in the skin 
reducing that oxidative stress, improving the function of the skin's immune system, reducing inflammation, all of those sorts of things. Um, so that's obviously, you know, really important than, you know, looking at things like collagen or other nutritional supplements that can help to, I guess, just maintain the health of the skin and ensure that the cells support the cells to function for longer. You know, as we age, your fibroblasts slow down, you make, you know, collagen much slower, your collagen starts to degrade. So supporting those sorts of functions as well. So there's sort of, I guess, the three broad categories outside of you know, gut health. And then we start to really get into those more therapeutic type products. So if something really has evolved into an inflammatory condition, then whilst working with the gut, we can also work with, you know, systemic inflammation with supplements like turmeric and that sort of thing. And why take a supplement? Like what is there, is there certain ingredients that we simply can't get off from our food or is it because we're just not eating enough nutrient dense foods? I would say it's a bit of both. I mean, as I said, something like 10% of Australians eat enough fruits and vegetables. Shocking, um, isn't it? Shocking. It is. It is shocking. And it makes me scratch my head every time thinking, oh God, am I one of them? When, yeah. <laughs> when you just sort of have a piece of toast instead of putting some something nutritious on top of it. Well, I but, feel um, like you'd have to just eat a lot, a lot of food. You'd be just... Yeah. To, to get it all in like plates and plates of just green laden vegetables yeah absolutely when you actually look at the the rdis for all of the different food groups it, it really is a lot of food so so that might be another reason i guess but you know as i sort of mentioned as well we're living longer and our skin hasn't necessarily, our cells haven't necessarily, you know, evolved to continue at their optimal functioning for 80 years. So things that we can get out of supplements that wouldn't necessarily be available to us, to us in our diet, either because, you know, they're not part of a normal diet. So a grapeseed extract, for example, or a, a hydrolyzed collagen at the levels that we can supplement with or even you know food-based supplements like like a, a turmeric extract that we would need to be eating an awful lot of turmeric tablespoons and tablespoons a day to you know equate that to a couple of concentrated tablets so it's yeah. really about getting that you know the concentrated nutrients in i think to deal with a lifetime of stress in a lifetime of exposure to various chemicals that maybe you know we're not physiologically evolutionary set up to do yeah and that really really high potency because mm. i'm yet to see a chef that is using things like hydrolyzed collagen and <laughs> and curcumin from turmeric in their cooking but that would yes. be really great wouldn't it what a fun cooking show that would be yeah <laughs> So what do you think is the future of supplementation or nutraceuticals in skincare? I think we're going to, we're already heading towards, you know, understanding more and more about the gut-skin connection. And there's probably two opportunities. The, the first one is understanding more and more how the microbiome um, works with the immune system, works with the endocrine system to, you know, have, have various systemic effects throughout the body. And as we understand more and more about that, you know, we might discover that by playing around with the microbiome through, you know, various nutritional supplements or taking probiotics, we can have broad reaching 
you know, impacts on our skin through, you know, immune regulation or whatever. The other part of that is potentially personalization through microbiome testing. So the more we understand about somebody's personal microbiome, the more we can bring, you know, create a, a product to supplement, which is just for them. And everybody is so different. And, you know, there's, there's a million supplements on the market and some of them will be more suitable for some people whilst others will be more suitable for others. But, you know, maybe until you've tried a couple of them, you might not figure that out. So this really just takes some of the guesswork out for people and makes something that, you know, is, is really going to be effective and, and impactful on their skin. I love the idea of individualized supplementation or nutraceuticals. How cool would that be? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting space. I think yeah, we're not quite there yet in terms of understanding. So we, we can look at someone's microbiome and we do have a bit of evidence around what impact certain supplements have on the microbiome. But I think we need a, a bigger body of evidence to say, okay, well, you need to increase your, I don't know, bacterioides and we can give you this and this to do that. So mm, absolutely, science is moving very quickly though. So hopefully it's not too far in the future. Mm, I was even having a conversation with a dermatologist not too long ago who, and this is general advice for listeners, I'm not telling you to go and take this, but as you know, Australia has the highest rates of skin cancer in the world. And there is evidence now to show that supplementation with vitamin A will decrease the chances of skin cancer, which is interesting. And I think you're right. I think we'll see more boutique, well, I guess, boutique supplementation that is customized to the individual, but then also just just looking at the scope of it and how it then works in with skincare and, and everything else that we're doing in our lives. Yeah. Yep. So supplements for skin trend or here to stay? What do you think, Kate? Oh, I think they are definitely here to stay. I think, I mean, if we just have a look at, you know, the general skincare industry, that's personal care, one, one category, which nearly everyone engages with, even, people that are lazy like me still moisturize every day. And I think this is a way, you know, a simple way to add something into your daily routine, which is improving the, you know, overall health outcomes for your skin. And it's, you know, it's, it's gone past fad stage now. I think it's, it's been around for enough years that it, it's sort of embedding as a, as a must have for a lot of people. And I think, you know, topicals, I think obviously topicals and supplements both have a, a part to play. But when we start to look at, you know, more deep rooted issues that might not necessarily just be, you know, aesthetic or from just a really basic sort of skin concern someone might have, if it's actually a more deep rooted issue that's just presenting as a skin inflammation, then supplements definitely have a, a, a part to play because obviously we need to deal with the gut or we need to deal with the underlying issues there. Mm, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I think they're here to stay. So Kate, where can people find more about you and the work that you do? Well, I, as you mentioned before, um, do have my own brand that I have launched and we do a lot of blogs and create a lot of educational information like we've just talked about around supplements and that sort of stuff. So if they'd like to know more about that, it's on our website, which is at optimanutricosmetics.com.au. And I am on uh, LinkedIn also, Kate Lydia. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for spending the time with me. It was great to hear more about nutraceuticals in skincare, something that we haven't really covered on this podcast, but a massive subject. And I'm sure many listeners are already maybe dipping their toes into trying some of these products. So I appreciate all the knowledge you've shared. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Pleasure. What a fab interview. I hope it cleared up some confusion that has been floating around the atmosphere, stratosphere, wherever. Lots of confusion about supplements and nutraceuticals and all these new things that are coming out on the shelves. The three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were number one, when it comes to ingredient sources and qualities. It has been somewhat a grey area for both topical skincare for many years, but also supplements and and powders and pills etc some top tips for checking the quality of a supplement that you're looking at is ask these questions does it contain excipients because they don't have to be listed on the label can you see the source of the ingredients do you know where they come from is there transparency on the manufacturer's website or the label about the ingredient purity and quality and are bold claims made because if they are they might be telling tiny little fibs number two we've spoken a lot about nutrition in the gut recently in these recent podcasts and with our recent virtual skin summit um, which was on gut health linking that back to the skin namely because it is a facet of skin health that isn't always considered Kate gave us even more reason to ensure that we are upping our nutrients with 94% of Australians not eating enough vegetables. Um, And it's said that we actually need to have 30 different plant-based foods each week. It's really eye-opening and astounding, isn't it? Because I know that I'm probably getting about 15 with my same zucchini, mixed berries, broccoli, carrot. Come on, I know you're the same. So I did joke with Kate about doing a mini challenge to get more veggies on our plate. So I'm just challenging you to do a little personal challenge with yourself and maybe your fam or maybe some friends. And I dare you to take note of the fruits, veggies, whole grains and pulses you eat each week and see if you can get to 30. Take a tally. And if not, challenge yourself to take a mental note or make a mental note of increasing this week by week. And number three, Kate and the team at Optima have given Derm Health Co listeners a discount code we love those for their nutraceutical skin food supplement so head to their website it's optimanutricosmetics.com.au the link is also in the show notes and then enter derm health 2020 that is with a capital d derm health 20 to the discount code of the cart thank you so much for listening to another episode of the heal thy skin podcast If you enjoyed listening, I'd love for you to take a screenshot, tag us on your socials with dermhealth.co. It helps more people find out about what we're doing over here. Until next week, be skin powered. Ah, ah, Before you go, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a reminder about our monthly swag bag giveaway. That's right. We are starting a swag bag giveaway and each month, the very last episode of each month, we are going to be giving one lucky listener a monster swag bag of goodies that will include products from our sponsors and some DHC merch. So to enter, 
just email info at dermhealth.co. Share a letter outlining what you loved or learned from the Derm Health Co. platform and share a little about your skin empowerment journey. It could even mean what skin empowerment means to you. We will choose one lucky winner each month and share your story on the podcast. So get typing info at dermhealth.co. I can't wait to read all your letters.